Now please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35, the end of the chapter there. This is on page 1203, again, if you're using the Pew Bible. Congregation has been looking at a number of parables uh, this fall, and uh, my plan is to preach on this parable this morning and then to begin a series on the book of Judges uh, next week. Uh, So Lord willing, we'll start a new series working through the Old Testament book of Judges. Parables, as we've seen, are a powerful way uh, to... Uh, teach important truths about our Lord and his kingdom using uh, verbal pictures. And this morning we come to two uh, small parables that are sandwiched in some teaching here about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so uh, these parables are helpful to us as they remind us what's needed if we want to claim the name of Christ, if we want to be his servant. So let's give attention now. This is the word of God. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it. Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And there were in the reading of God's word. May he bless his word to us this morning. Well, over the last summer, the uh, Barna Group conducted a survey of a large number of teenagers from 26 different countries around the world and asking them questions about Jesus, about the Bible. What was very interesting is on this this broad survey of teenagers, slightly over half, 52%, claimed that they were Christians. It was very interesting because of those 52%, that group that said they were Christians, only about half of them said that they believed that Jesus rose from the dead, and less than half of them said that they believed that Jesus was the Son of God. So a great number of people who claim to be Christians are confused about very basic aspects of the Christian faith. So perhaps surprisingly even more drastic was the huge gap between those who said they were Christians and those who also said that they had made a personal decision to follow Christ. And and, and, and even lower was the number. It was 9% who read their Bibles regularly. So so the take-home from this is uh, many, many people 
who are willing to say, yes, I'm a Christian, who do not live in any way or think or act like Christians. There's a massive gap there. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ is addressing in this parable that we have before us today in this passage. He had gathered a lot of people following him. In this part of the book of Luke, from around chapter 9 and through most of chapter 19, uh, the commentators call it sort of a travel uh, journey uh, that uh, Jesus is, is taking. It's, it's a journal of his travels as he works around in Galilee. But he's moving ever uh, closer to Jerusalem and to his ultimate death. And so this narrative of his travels recounts Jesus' healing and teaching as he moves toward his death. And as he's doing this, he's gathering many, many followers. As verse 25 in our text said, the multitudes were following him. And so all these people are coming around, and many of them want to hear Jesus teaching and they want to see Jesus do miracles and they want uh, maybe healing or their relatives to be healed. But Jesus then is telling them what true disciples look like. It's not just people wanting things from him. It are, it's people who have given their lives over to serve him. So this is a message for people in the church, people who claim to be followers of Christ and the message that we need to hear this morning is that being a Christian means ultimately dying to yourself for the sake of Christ. Dying to yourself for the sake of Christ. But you and I can take tremendous comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ counted the cost and paid the price himself so that you could be one of his disciples. And children, if you want to draw a picture this morning, you might draw a picture of this man who starts to build a tower and is not able to finish it. And let's listen for what Jesus is teaching us through that little parable. Well, there is an outline in your bulletin if you would like to follow along. The first thing we want to notice is that being a disciple of Jesus means putting him above all else in your life. So Jesus, as we said, has this great multitude following him in verse 25. And in verse 26, he confronts them and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You are not able to be a disciple of Jesus if you don't hate these certain close relations. Now, what is Jesus saying? We know that Jesus isn't advocating hate. Uh, Jesus tells us in other places that we are to love even our enemies. He uh, cr criticizes the Pharisees for not properly loving their parents. So, no, children, we are not to hate. We are not to take away from this message. It's okay to hate people. Jesus is here using a figure of speech in which he's trying to emphasize the relative concern that we should have for our loved ones versus our love for him. Uh, perhaps this is more clear the way he says this in Matthew 10, verse 37, which I've included in, in your bulletin. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what Jesus is saying is that he must be the highest priority in your life. And, and so even though he's not telling us to hate, this is still a radical teaching. Because what he's saying 
is that the closest human relationships you have, and Jesus here is not envisioning uh, a dysfunctional family. He's, he's envisioning a good family where the, the members of the family genuinely love each other. He's saying in that setting, even in that setting, you are to love Jesus more than you love even your closest relatives. It is to be, he is to be your absolute priority and receive your utmost allegiance. Quoting from commentator J.C. Ryle on this, he says, we must choose rather to displease those we love most upon the earth than to displease him who died for us on the cross. And isn't this so challenging for us in so many different ways? Uh, When uh, the family reunion comes into conflict with going to worship and um, family members want us to do or maybe want our kids to go off and do something uh, that we're not quite comfortable with. And, And in many different ways, your allegiance is tested. Who do you love more? Uh, your, your extended family, even your own children, uh, or the Lord. And this is one of the challenges that I think anyone in a family faces. But realize, when Jesus puts it this way, he, he wants all of us to be thinking, whatever it is in the world that I hold dear, that I love, that has to be secondary to my love for Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. That this is what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. It would affect everything that we do, our attitudes, uh, the way we think, our words, our actions, our goals in life. Being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian, means putting him first in all things. Secondly, though, we see it's even a little bit more radical to put Jesus first in your life. You have to die to yourself. So at the end of verse 26 there, he says, yes, uh, the man must hate his own life Also, of course, we know our natural inclination is to love our life. Paul says in Ephesians 5.29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Our instinct is to protect and preserve our life. If uh, you see something coming at your head, you're going to duck. And nobody has to tell you often if you see something flying at your head, duck. You do that naturally. You do that instinctively. That's because our whole lives, in some sense, are, are bent toward preserving ourselves, protecting ourselves, and providing for our wants. And Jesus is saying, even your own life has to take second place to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says even more graphically in verse 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And in another place, he actually says this earlier in the book of Luke, he says, bear your cross daily and come after me. Cannot be my disciple. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion about what it means to bear the cross or to to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Often in in our culture, uh, a cross you bear is some uh, burden that that you have been afflicted with. You know, for you ladies, the fact that your husband won't put his dirty laundry into the laundry basket, right? This is a cross. This is the cross that I bear. Uh, this is often how this uh, phrase is used. Okay, obviously, somewhat humorously. Uh, But that's not, in fact, what a cross uh, is. It's not uh, dealing with an elderly 
uh, relative who's aging and having challenges. It's not having a difficult coworker. It's not having a chronic illness. That's not what this means. Jesus' audience that he's speaking to would have understood exactly what he meant because anytime you saw somebody carrying a cross, they were on their way to their execution. So this would be akin to saying, if you want to follow me, you must have a lethal injection in our, in our language today. You must go to the electric chair. You must die to yourself. It's a radical, it's a radical claim that we must die if we want to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, one of the things we did when we were in Northern Ireland this summer was to visit the Crumlin Road Jail, which is an old Victorian prison in Belfast, which was, um, uh, it stopped being used in the 1990s, was kind of abandoned, and then was refurbished, and now they do tours. And it's a fascinating example of a, of a of jail from that period. And what the thing that I remember the most is they had us, toward the end of the tour, go into the room where the uh, convicted criminal who was facing the gallows would stay. And it was a larger room than the other rooms, and that was because two police officers would be living in the room with that person, making sure that uh, he or she did not harm himself. But uh, there it was, this room, and, uh, and there was the table uh, where they had their last meal, and then there was a wall that looked like a, a bookshelf, uh, but uh, on uh, the pressing of a certain button, the wall shifted away. And right there, right there, was the hangman's noose and the trap door. And so the criminal would eat their meal, uh, the wall would slide away, and they would walk to the gallows. And um, very sobering. And Jesus is saying, this is what he wants in his disciples. Men and women and boys and girls walking to the gallows. It's, it's fascinating. The, the most famous and well-known of John Calvin's writings, uh, and, and this comes from his great magnum opus, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, is not uh, a, a, an academic defense of election or predestination. It's a little section that has often been published separately as the golden book of the Christian life. But it's a section of his institutes that's called the sum of the Christian life, the denial of ourselves. That this, in a sense, isn't just a peripheral thing. It's not just something for super saints. This is what it means to be a Christian, is dying to myself so that I can live for Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, don't come to me unless you are prepared to die. So according to Jesus, being a Christian means dying to yourself. Now, we see in, this, in the two parables that Jesus gives, thirdly, that he wants you to count the cost if you intend to follow him. And you see this in verses 28 to 32. There, there was a a humorous movie that was going around when I was a kid, and in it, this group of misfits joins the military, and, and so early in their training, they're all sitting around in a circle uh, telling each other why they joined the military, and one of these 
soldiers is kind of heavy set says, uh, well, I heard you got this. I hear you have this great six week weight loss program. And so I was coming in hoping to lose some weight. Now you're thinking right away, this is not going to work out well. Like anyone who joins the military thinking it's a weight loss program is going to be sadly um, uh, sadly disappointed in that situation. And, and, and similarly, Jesus is stay, saying here, after he tells them, if you want to follow me, you have to die. You have to give up everything. You have to die to yourself. He then goes on to encourage them, okay, let's, let's count the cost. All you people that are around me, let's, let's have you think about that. So he gives them these two little parables. In verse 28, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. So here the picture would be a farmer who has a vineyard, and often uh, they would build a tower so they could keep watch over the vineyard, and in the bottom of the tower would be some storage space where you could put some farm equipment and some other things like that. So it's, it's sort of a modified barn or shed, and, and it's, he's saying something very obvious. Nobody just goes out to the work site with a couple of hammers and a few boards and a nail or two and then just starts... Uh, banging on things and hope it works out, right? Whenever there's a building project, uh, there's a plan involved. There's a materials list. Sometimes uh, there's a budget uh, that we figure out if we can actually afford it. We gather all the materials first. This is one of the reasons we're meeting with an architect as we try to contemplate how to better expand our facility. And uh, it's a planning process that may take months or years, And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you need to think about this. Verse 31, similarly, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Here there's even more at stake than just uh, the, the, the cost of building a little barn. Here you have men's lives and you have enormous amounts of resources. And what king just goes out into battle without even considering, do, do I have a chance of winning this battle? Of course, no one would do this. And what, what Jesus is teaching here is how ridiculous it is for you to say you want to follow me, to claim you're following me without ever actually considering what it means to follow me. And this is what he wants us to think about. J.C. Ryle says it this way, it costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian and to go to church is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice and follow Christ and believe in Christ and confess Christ requires much self-denial. And and how tempting it is for us to do what Ryle calls the cheap and easy work without actually bending our wills to God precisely at the point when we don't want to. It's one thing to say, my dog is trained because Whenever I call him and have a biscuit in my hand, he comes. Very different if the dog comes when a rabbit is running past the dog. When the dog obeys you when it's not what the dog wants to do, that's what you find where the dog's real heart is. And Jesus is reminding us that if we want to follow him, it will cost us everything. It will mean 
saying no to ourselves at the exact point where we don't want to do that, where Jesus calls us to do something other than what we want to do. Now, it's obvious from this text, Jesus would make a lousy American megachurch pastor. This is not a message that is, is one that is going to be warmly received. But understand, Jesus is interested in sincerity, not interested in numbers. And isn't this what actually happens in so many parts of the world where a Muslim convert to Christianity, for example, has to consider, if I get baptized, I may be completely cut off from every member of my family. I may be mutilated. I may even be killed. Am I willing to do that in order to follow the Lord? Now, we say we don't face that kind of opposition here, and thank God we don't, but we do. There is a cost. And Jesus is saying to you, the cost is high. The cost is everything. And, and so you children here, it is our prayer and our, our earnest hope that each one of you will follow Jesus and follow Jesus all your life. But you need to understand following Jesus means you are willing to put Jesus first in everything. It's not easy what Jesus is asking us to do. And so we want you to follow Jesus sincerely, but not this fake idea that, well, if I keep kind of coming to church and, I, I don't, and my life is sort of cleaned up, then everything's fine. Following Jesus means that he's first in our lives, that we love him more than anything else in our lives. A number of years ago, there was a, a version of an insert we often get in our bulletins called Church Around the World. And it, it was fascinating because this particular issue uh, had a little article about millennials, and it said, a study finds few millennials interested in religion. And I realize millennials are the cause of all the problems in our society, but, uh, according to the experts. But uh, millennials would be about the 20 to 40 range right now. So apologies to those of you in that range. But this is what was so fascinating, because so few of them uh, ever went to church. And one of the factors in the article was that millennials tend to be high commitment, a high commitment generation, and they see most of what takes place in churches as low commitment, so they are not interested. What a sad commentary on the church. How could the church, a genuine church trying to do what Jesus just said here, be a low commitment organization? That's an indictment. Jesus is saying, count the cost. Follow me, but recognize what it's going to cost you. Fourthly, he goes on to remind you that giving up all for Jesus, I'm sorry, failing to give up all for Jesus will be even more costly for you. So yes, it's costly to follow him, but if you refuse to follow him, it's going to cost you even more. So he changes his metaphor a little bit in verse 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So isn't this interesting? He goes on to say, 
It's like salt that has no flavor. And the whole purpose of salt is to have flavor. As he's saying, the purpose of being a Christian is to follow me wherever it leads. Uh, If the salt is not uh, any longer functional, it's good for nothing. It's not even good to throw on the compost pile. And recognize Jesus is here talking about people. He's talking about people who are claiming to be his followers who actually don't live in any way that looks like it should. He's calling those people salt without flavor. And he says it's good for nothing only to be thrown out. He's he's actually following up on this idea that he mentions in the parable. What does he say about the man who starts to build and cannot finish? Uh, Children, you're working on your pictures. He, He says after that in verse 29, all who see it begin to mock him. There's humiliation that goes from not being able to follow through on what you say you're doing. And of course, in that culture, being uh, humiliated was a huge deal. This unfinished building uh, stands as a monument to your lack of planning and your foolishness. Uh, This is what he's talking about when he says this is the salt that has lost its flavor. So this is a solemn warning to us. We may be saying, Lord Jesus, if it costs everything to follow you, I don't think I can do it. Well, he's saying, uh, if you fail to do it, the, the, uh, the outcome will be even worse. You'll be like flavorless salt. You'll be like the man who is humiliated. You will face eternity away from me and apart from everything that is good. This is why Jesus says in another place, those who uh, come to him at the end uh, saying, Lord, Lord, um, and, and uh, didn't we serve you in all these many ways? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And Jesus tells us also, you either seek your life in him and then find it, or you seek your life in the world and you lose it. Matthew ten thirty nine. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I once counseled a young man who was um, wrestling with uh, his faith and, and trying to understand what it meant to be a Christian. And he asked me in all seriousness, what does it really mean to be a Christian? I'm, I'm confused. And, and I said, so why are you confused? And he said, because the men in my life when I was growing up who said they were Christians didn't live any differently than the world and everybody else did. So what does it really mean to be a Christian? And you see how dangerous this is. If we claim to be Christians, but we don't live lives given over to him, we not only are living a lie ourselves, we damage people around us who who, who look at you as supposedly an example of what a Christian is supposed to be, and yet we do not fulfill his love, his desires for us. And, And Jesus says that we will face judgment if that happens. So failure to give up all for Jesus is even costlier than giving it up to follow him. But finally, we need to take comfort in knowing that Jesus counted the cost and paid the price so that you could be his disciple. Look look again at verse 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's impossible for you to be a disciple of Jesus if you do not forsake all that you have. 
And in light of this, I think some people hear the call to bear the cross as a challenge that we are to meet head on. Yes, people say, I like a good challenge. Bear my cross. This is, in fact, what I will do. But but notice again how Jesus uses the parable. The man is not able to finish. The king with 10,000 is not able to meet the coming force with 20,000. So what is it that the king should do? What does the text say? He should surrender. He should, when, he says, when it is a long way off, send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. And this is in fact what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us that the right response is to realize you cannot do this and that what you need to do is surrender, is to surrender. Uh, quoting here from Glenn Scrivener, who talks about this, he said, Jesus doesn't want us determined. He wants us dead. He doesn't want us resolved. He wants us surrendered. We don't take up the cross as a sign of our self-denying piety. We take up our cross because we can't do the Christian life. Only he can. And this is the secret of how we become the kind of disciple Jesus wants. We put our faith in him, the one who counted the cost and who paid the price in full. And oh, what did it cost the Lord Jesus to come from heaven and to live as a human being and to suffer all the indignities as the creator of the universe living in a human body where he was hungry and tired and where he was set upon by others, where he was arrested and accused of all kinds of things falsely, where he was tried and accused and beaten and ultimately killed and faced the anger of God. That's what carrying the cross was for Jesus. It was literally carrying the instrument of his torture and death. And Jesus paid that massive price knowing it. He had counted the cost. He knew what he was getting into when he came. This is one of the reasons he's in such incredible anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what he's going to do. And yet he willingly pays the price in the place of his disciples. So don't you see, Jesus is the man who builds the tower and completes the work. The scripture tells us he's building his church. He's the king who goes to war against the devil and wins the battle. And because Jesus did that, because he carried his cross, And because he was victorious, if you put your faith and trust in him, he gives you the grace that you need to know. You can't die to yourself. But Jesus, who died to himself, can enable you to serve the Lord with growing faithfulness. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Jesus, we die so that we can live. You know, many people have come to Bloomington over the years to study with uh, famous professors at the School of Music. We had a number of people in years past who came to study with uh, Jeno Starker, a world-renowned cellist. 
And uh, can you imagine somebody thinking that they were doing Starker a favor by becoming one of his students? And yet sometimes, isn't that how we think about the Lord Jesus? That if, if we become his disciple, we're somehow doing him a favor. When, when it's completely the other way around. What an honor to be taken on by the greatest cellist alive at the time. And to be one of his students and to carry his name. And you have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying to you, come along. You want to identify with me? I carried my cross to my death. You pick up this cross and come with me. Identify with me. Die with me. And if you do that, you will rise victorious with me as well. You and I are called to die to ourselves. That is not something we can do. But Jesus Christ did die in our place. And if we put our faith in him, he will enable us to be his true disciples in the world. So take comfort in the knowledge that Jesus counted the, the cost and paid the price so that you could be his disciple, and to carry his name. Let's pray and we'll ask him to help us in this. Heavenly Father, we confess that um, this command to carry the cross, which is found throughout the Gospels, is one that we often misunderstand. We try to make it easy or something that is doable for us. And we pray that you would help us to see that this is not something we can do, but it is something that our Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And how we thank you that Jesus came knowing exactly what he was getting into. He counted the cost, and yet he came anyway and paid the price and did that in our place so that we could be forgiven so that we could become his disciples, not by obedience, but by faith. And Lord, how we pray that our lives would reflect uh, that we are, in fact, the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for your Spirit's help, Lord. Help us to do what you're calling us to do, to say no to ourselves and to say yes to Jesus, to make him more and more our highest priority, even above our loved ones in our family. Lord, we pray that by doing this, you might be honored and glorified among us and that we might know the blessing of identifying with the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We pray these things in his name. Amen. And now we will respond back to the Lord in song, this time singing from Psalm 44, selection A. So we'll be back in the blue uh, hymnal again. 44a uh, speaks about the people's uh, work in conquering the land. We read about that earlier in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, but notice that uh, in this song, they reflect on the fact that although uh, their ancestors did actually fight in all these battles, it was God who was doing 
the work. And because of that, in stanza four, he says, no trust will I place in my sword or my bow. We will boast in the God who saved us from the foe. Uh, We come as those called uh, to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. We recognize that it is only because of his grace that we can do that. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise together.